So tonight I have the absolute joy of speaking on receiving the Holy Spirit. And in a few moments, we're going to invite His presence to invade this room in greater measure. And we're gonna see what Holy Spirit does. And it's gonna be fun, and it's gonna be holy chaos, I'm sure. See, he kind of does that. (laughs) I was thinking yesterday as Pete preached, and he said revivals are marked by two things, prayer and holiness, absolutely true. I, I wanna suggest that there's a third, which is a willingness to give up control. You see, as you study revivals again and again, this willingness to to get out the way, a willingness not to dictate how he should come or what that should look like. And it's also true that if you study revivals, the more human wisdom and scaffolding is applied, the shorter the lifespan of the revival becomes. I wanna encourage us this evening as we think on this wonderful, incredible subject of receiving the Spirit, this invitation to each of us. Really, one of the big questions for us to ask is, do we want to maintain control? Do we want it to be neat and tidy? Do we want to be able to understand all of the parameters? You know, the Bible in the book of Proverbs invites us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our understanding. The reason is your understanding can only take you so far. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart is an invitation to let go of the right to have figured him out to let go of the right to have weighed up all of the parameters and have approved of his decision-making. Trust or understand, it's a choice. So many of us are wanting to do both. The problem is you can't. Trust or understand. And this evening, I really wanna invite all of us to enter again in a journey with him where we relinquish all of the things that we, we feel we need to understand and instead go on an adventure of trusting him, of believing him, and of allowing him to do what only he can do. I cannot bring Holy Spirit to you this evening. I have no power in and of myself to transform your life, and you can't do that for me. Only God invading this place, invading our hearts, invading our minds can bring transformation. We believe that, right? So we might need to get out the way a little bit and to allow him to minister to us however he sees fit and trust that he is good and he is kind, that he is faithful, that he is a God full of love 
And so we can feel safe with him even when it might lead to holy chaos. I wanna start with some words from Ephesians 5. And then we're gonna look at a couple of scriptures in the book of Acts, really to set the scene, a few moments of the disciples receiving the Spirit. And my intention is that I won't talk for too long so that we can have plenty of space to see what God does. But in Ephesians 5, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and I'm just gonna pick up from verse 15. This is really just to set the scene. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Who here wants wisdom? (laughs) I know I do. He's about to give us a key, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice here that being filled with the Spirit is being pinpointed as the key to wisdom. And he uses this picture, this contrast with being drunk with wine intentionally because there is something of the picture of being drunk that will help them understand what happens when we are filled with the Spirit. It is an intentional contrast. When you are drunk with wine, so I'm told, (laughs) just before anyone is offended in this room, you see people differently. Those who might not have seen so attractive before. (laughs) You're like, where is this preacher going? I'm going where I think Paul was trying to take us. He uses drunkenness as the contrast. Don't allow wine to color your thinking. Allow the spirit to do that. Because he's gonna impact you in how you see. He's gonna impact you in the courage and the bravery that you feel. Think of what people do when they are drunk. They have this sense of invincibility. They make choices that might not seem the most wise when you apply human reasoning. He's using this picture of being drunk with wine intentionally because he's trying to say, hey church, be filled with the Spirit. Understand that in many ways it will bring you to a point of relinquishing control in the same way that being drunk with wine will but it will have life-transforming effects because being filled with the Spirit is the key to wisdom. The problem for many of us in the church is we're consistently trying to apply human reasoning to kingdom adventures and wondering why we're coming up short. Human reasoning will never be able to understand kingdom adventure because the reasoning of the kingdom is at odds with the reasoning of the world. Human wisdom cannot take you into kingdom promises. What then is the key to real wisdom? Be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to color your thinking, your feeling, your seeing, all of your senses. Allow the Spirit to overwhelm you. Allow the Spirit to fill you 
So many of us ask the Lord for wisdom, but what we're asking for in that moment is the ability to think better in human terms. No. If you need wisdom, I wanna suggest you go home, you lie down on the floor, and you invite Holy Spirit to overwhelm you. That is the key to wisdom. And so when we talk about receiving the Spirit, I want us to understand that the intention of the Spirit isn't just as some kind of party trick at the end of a conference so that we can all have our goosebumps and then say that was a great meeting. No, the intention of the Spirit is to so empower us so that as we go through every step of life, we are thinking in line with the kingdom of heaven. We have been given the mind of Christ and we start walking out decisions in unreasonable ways according to the wisdom of man, but in kingdom promise achieving ways. That's his intention for us. So tonight isn't just the magic trick at the end. Tonight is a moment of powerful commissioning for all that you have to face in the world. The days are short and they are evil, therefore, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, let's look at Acts 2, and hopefully we'll get a chance to look at Acts 8. I'm just gonna read briefly these stories, these moments, and we're gonna just pull out some treasure together. This is gonna be just walking through some scripture together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The disciples waiting together, not sure what they're waiting for exactly, knowing that the Spirit's coming, but they have no frame of reference for what's about to happen. That's good for us to understand. Sometimes we fall back into the pattern from the last revival, assuming that it's the pattern for the next revival. That's not really often how God works. He's not formulaic. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty, rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Sometimes we want him to come like a gentle breeze because we don't like him messing up our hair. <laughs> the Spirit, I mean, the Spirit really has no intention to follow what we think is reasonable. Inviting him in is dangerous because he messes things up in the best possible way. But if we're inviting him in, we need to understand that we cannot control him to a gentle breeze. We must submit ourselves to his mighty rushing wind. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were so many from all around who were there and witnessed them speaking in different native languages, and they were amazed. I'm skipping down here, here a little bit to verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Sounds like Ephesians 5, doesn't it? There's intentionality in these verses. They absolutely are filled with new wine, just a different kind than you can imagine. 
The Spirit comes and He baptizes them in this moment. He so fills them that everything changes. In Acts 1, where Jesus says to them, wait, wait for the promise of the Spirit. For John baptized with water, you will be baptized with power from on high. Right here, we're seeing the fruition of what Jesus promised, a baptism in the Spirit. Now, I just wanna say something um, quickly about the word baptism, because I think it's incredibly important for us to understand the invitation of the promise of the Spirit. In the Greek, there are two words uh, that have very similar meaning. There's the word bapto and then the, there's the word baptizo. Bapto is a word, both of them can be used for dipping or immersion. So you find them in different moments in religious writings around being dipped in something. But the New Testament writers exclusively use the word baptizo and not bapto whenever it talks of baptism. And the reason for that is best illustrated if you look at an ancient pickling recipe. Yes an ancient pickling recipe, because it uses both words, bapto and baptizo, and it shows us the significance of baptizo. See, in this ancient pickling recipe, <laughs> you are all thinking I've gone mad here. Stick with me for a second. It says, take the cucumber and bapto it, dip it in boiling water, and then baptizo it, dip it, immerse it into vinegar and keep it there. The point being that the initial dipping is momentary and does not alter anything for the cucumber. But baptizo is an entirely different thing because what goes in a cucumber comes out a pickle. Why? It's been overwhelmed by the solution that it's in. When the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, baptizing them as Jesus promises, what happens is they go in as cucumbers and they come out as pickles. What happens is they are overwhelmed by the solution that they find themselves in. They are overwhelmed by the nature of God around them and suddenly everything changes so that these men and women who were hiding out in a room stand up and start speaking with courage and boldness. Why? They have been pickled in the spirit. I want us to understand this evening as we invite Holy Spirit and we say, we want to receive you, Spirit. What we're saying is, come and pickle me. <laughs> See, you're laughing now, but you're going to remember this this week. It's going to stick with you. So one of the most spiritual things we can pray, pickle me. <laughs> okay, let's move on, you guys are laughing now. So in this moment, they've been overwhelmed by the Spirit. And suddenly, they change to men and women of incredible courage. I don't know about you, but I feel like we're living in times where we need, as the people of God, extraordinary courage. We need wisdom. What do we say? How do we say it? How do we navigate the complexities of the world that we live in? How do we find wisdom? We're filled with the Spirit. We need courage to use our voices rather than to sink back into the background and just let the world 
decide where it's going and how it's getting there. How do we find courage? We're baptized in the Spirit. See, there's a consistent theme here. I hope you're tracking with me now. That for everything that we need, not for inside the church, but for everything that we need on a Monday morning, we need to be pickled in the presence of God. There simply is no other way. There's no other way of walking out your faith. If we didn't need the empowering presence of the Spirit of God, if we could achieve all the things we need to achieve in and of ourselves, there would be no need for half the things God does. The law would have been sufficient. We would have been able to do it in and of our own strength. The point is we don't have that power. We need the empowering presence of the Spirit to walk out every moment of this. And so Peter stands up, a man who was a great disappointment to himself as well as to others, just a short while before this, but then he gets pickled in the Spirit. And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose. When was the last time non-Christians came into our meetings and genuinely thought we were drunk? (laughs) I want to suggest we are far too controlled in our meetings. We don't chase after manifestations for manifestation's sake. But when I read the words of the New Testament consistently, when Holy Spirit appears, strange things happen to the point that non-believers are asking questions. We have to relinquish control to him. We have to allow him to be God in our midst. And I wanna say this for any who are nervous, Holy Spirit is a better evangelist than you are and than I am. We're so worried that Holy Spirit, oh, he needs pastoring, doesn't he? Let's help him. No, no, Holy Spirit. Okay, let's just draw you aside here. These are the things that will help these people become Christians. Are we kidding? Do we genuinely think that he doesn't know what people need in order to come into the kingdom and we know better than him? So why are we so nervous about what he might do? Peter stands up. In the last days, it shall be, God declares. He's quoting the prophet Joel, he's explaining. See, this is what we need to do. We don't need to be worried about what he might do. Good leadership then stands up and explains what happens. We've seen Tyler do this all conference in crazy moments where people are doing strange things like laughing out loud when nothing seemingly funny happened. Tyler stands up and brings explanation. Hey guys, this is called the joy of the Lord. Joy is so deep in your heart, but it actually overflows out of your body so that you don't have to explain to people, I have joy, it's really deep. But it becomes extremely obvious from your demeanor that you have been pickled in the spirit and found the joy of the Lord, right? Tyler's been doing it brilliantly. That's called good leadership. We see Peter doing it right here. So we don't need to be nervous of what Holy Spirit might do. We can then step into good leadership and just explain the moment. 
We don't need to control it, we can explain it. He's explaining it. Hey guys, you think these guys are drunk? No, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Let me tell you, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know, the Jews that were listening to this would not have been impressed with this prophecy. Why? They weren't interested in the spirit being poured out on all flesh. They were interested in the spirit being poured out on Jewish flesh. But in this moment, the inauguration of the church where the Holy Spirit pickles the disciples, they stand up and they suddenly get what God has been saying all throughout the Old Testament, which is, hey, Israel, you don't own God. You have been chosen to show God to the nations, but they didn't get it. They wanted to put people out rather than bring people in. But the coming of the Spirit suddenly radically changes everything because now the Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. This is a promise, not just for the Israelites, but for all people. God has left the temple. He is everywhere and everyone can access Him. It's offensive to the hearers of the day, but it's a promise for you and I. The Holy Spirit is not interested in religious nationalism. He's not interested in, oh, we're the the nation that owns God. We'll help all those other nations who don't. No, 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 he's not interested in that. The spirit is being poured out on all flesh. Racism, nationalism has no part in the kingdom of God. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Do you know how radical that was in a patriarchal society? But suddenly, for the first time, we're seeing a group of men and women gathered together, and Holy Spirit falls on all of them. Do you know that the Spirit is not sexist? Do you know that He gives gifts to men and women alike? Do you know that in the inauguration of the church, it's a radical new day where suddenly we understand, oh, God isn't interested in a hierarchy between gender, but he's interested in raising up men and women together. There is no sexism in this kingdom. The coming of the spirit happens upon men and women equally. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. There is no ageism in this kingdom. There is no sell-by date. Often we hear there's no junior Holy Spirit. There's also no elderly one. If you have a pulse, That means God has purposes for you, right here. The Spirit of God still awakening you to His purposes. There is no ageism. That's why there's something so beautiful about a community of believers where you gather all kinds of diversity, including diversity of age together, where we worship God together, young and old, because this is what the kingdom looks like even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. There is no classism in this kingdom. So the coming of the spirit in act two, this 
baptism moment, this pickling moment, inaugurates a completely different way of being the people of God, where God is not owned by any one group, but suddenly the Spirit is being poured out on all, young, old, servants, free men, men and women alike, Everyone has access to the Spirit of God. This is why it offends the Spirit when we start acting like there are superstars that have access to the Spirit in a way that we do not. That is a lie. Right here we see He's interested in all flesh. That means whether you're sitting in the back row of the balcony or sitting right here on the front row, Holy Spirit wants to pickle you this evening. He wants to radically change you with His presence, radically shape you with wisdom and courage tonight. Okay, let's quickly flick to Acts 8. You guys doing okay? Acts 8, verse four, now those who were scattered, we've seen in a moment just before this that the church gets scattered from Jerusalem. It's a good thing, because they start going about to the places they were meant to go to, preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city, joy that moved their faces. It's beautiful. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people. I want you to understand throughout this story that Luke, the author here, is weaving contrast for us of what genuine spirit activity looks like and what counterfeit activity looks like. There was this man named Simon who was amazing people. God's intention is not simply to amaze you with a magic trick, his intention is to transform you with encounter. They are entirely different realities. Simon had been amazing people, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Simon is at the center of his story. All of his tricks point to him. There's always a concern when people are claiming to operate in the power of the Spirit, but everything is pointing to them. The gifts of the Spirit are not intended to build my platform, they're intended for the common good as Holy Spirit reveals to us Jesus and the Father. If we claim to be moving in the power of the Spirit, but all we're doing is making people feel like they're inferior to us because they don't have the gifts we have, something has gone very wrong in how we're moving in the Spirit. But when the people believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized 
baptizo, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want us to see that the expectation of the New Testament is that subsequent to salvation, which we know is a work of the Spirit already because we are born again of the Spirit. Romans 8 says it's only by the Spirit that we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. So we know the work of the Spirit introduces us to God Himself. It's the work of the Spirit. By Him, we are born again. But subsequent to that moment of salvation, there is another moment where we are able to pray for the filling of the Spirit, for baptism in the Spirit, for pickling in the Spirit. That is the New Testament expectation. The apostles come and they know straight away, this is wonderful that you've received the Word, this is awesome, but you need to be pickled because you cannot live the Christian life without pickling in the Spirit. We have to raise our expectation as the people of God of what God wants to do in us. There are too many Christians who are unpickled but are trying to do the work of the kingdom. It cannot be done. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, you have to wait. Listen, if the disciples who had walked with Jesus were not empowered enough by that point to go ahead and do the work of ministry, I think that's a good indicator to you and I that the moment of salvation is not empowering enough in and of itself for us to do the work of the kingdom. The New Testament, don't get mad at me, it's the New Testament expectation. But I want to put, I want to teach this line online tonight because I want to make a case for this so that we all have the confidence that this is for every believer. This is not reserved. Baptism in the Spirit is not reserved for the few. It is an invitation to all, all who have believed. The apostles come. And they recognize spirit hasn't fallen on, on you. So that must happen. And it says they received the Holy Spirit. Now in the Greek, there are three different words that can be used for received. One is a word that is actually quite passive, but is a welcoming. So if I'm giving you something, you're kind of like, I'm not gonna reject it. I'm open. That's one word. And actually when they receive the word, which is the New Testament way of saying when they came to that moment of salvation, it's that word. It's actually reasonably, it's just a welcome. So when they receive the word, it's a welcome and that in itself is enough to transform their lives, brings them into the kingdom, it's beautiful. But then there's another word for receive which is much more active. It's a word that is laying hold of. It's not just a passive, I won't reject what you're giving, but it's much more, I see that gift and I'm coming to get it. That's the word receive that is used here. When they received the Holy Spirit, it wasn't, 
It was, I see you and I'm laying hold of you. You can only do that if you've got the confidence that he wants to fall on you. But he's inviting us tonight to take hold of him. Not to sit back, say, come and get me, but to say, I see you and I'm laying hold of you tonight, God. So they've received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, notice what happens here. He offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He's not asking for a Holy Spirit, he's asking for the power to impart the Spirit. That's quite interesting for me. He didn't see Holy Spirit as a person. He didn't see him relationally. He saw him as a force that he could manipulate and control and buy. Now, we might think that's ridiculous. Silly Simon, clearly you can't pay for the Spirit. That's just dumb. Nobody gives money for Holy Spirit baptism. That's so interesting though that we, we're so quick to judge Simon. But I wonder how many of us feel like we have earned the Spirit in other ways. He might not be bought with money, but perhaps I've earned a level of the pouring of the Spirit by the amount of time I've been praying or the amount of good works I've done or the amount of time I've been in this church. And we might get a little bit grumpy when Sister Judy, who's just walked into the building, and we know her life is not that great, by the way. There's definitely things that she's doing that she shouldn't be doing. But suddenly she gets hit by the Spirit, and we've been praying for three years now for healing, and it hasn't happened. And we get grouchy, because why? We believe we've earned it more than she has. I've put in more time, or I've cleaned up my act better. I want to assure us this evening, you cannot buy the Spirit. You can't buy him with money, but you can't buy him with anything that you can bring. He's not looking at your credentials, they're not good enough. He's not looking at your morality, it's not good enough. He's not looking at the amount of time you've been a faithful member of this church, it's not good enough. This isn't to depress us, it's to free us. Because he's not looking at what you bring other than your hunger. Simon didn't get it, but he's not a spirit who can be bought, which means he's not a spirit who can be controlled. He will not be dictated to by the things that we think make us more worthy than the person sitting next to us. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with anything other than your hunger, with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Okay, I wanna say one last thing on this and then we're gonna pray. Notice the apostles who come to pray for these believers in Samaria are Peter and John. In Luke 9, we see the disciples walking with Jesus in Samaria. 
In Luke 9.51, I'm just going to read you this background. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, they're, they're written as a two-part volume. So they're best read actually together because the author Luke is drawing lots of parallels throughout both books. He, he's drawing contrast and comparison for us. And in Luke 9, the disciples are walking with Jesus and they enter a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive Jesus because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Two things I wanna say here. One, don't ask God stupid questions. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven? What I would love to have seen is Jesus turn around and say, yeah, go on then. <laughs> what, what were they gonna do? It's just the most utterly ridiculous suggestion, not least of which they didn't have power in their entire bodies to do what they were trying to do anyway. But anyway, they're so incensed with these people that they wanna call down fire from heaven. Isn't it beautiful then that we flick over to Acts 8 and the apostles are in Samaria again. And again, they're in that place with the intention to call down fire from heaven, but a very different kind of fire this time. The fire of the Spirit is not there for punishment or judgment. The fire of the Spirit is life-giving in order to so transform us for everything that he has for us. I wanna say to you guys this evening, for any who are nervous of the Spirit, Holy Spirit is good. He is trustworthy. He is not interested in bringing any kind of fire that would consume you in any negative way. He is interested in radically transforming you in order to bring you to fullness of life. Ben, can I ask you to come back up? I can't, I don't, can't see you guys, but if you're in the building, Ben, please come back up. We're gonna pray together this evening. And we're just gonna invite Holy Spirit to come with his fire. And I hope you're not looking at me or the band to achieve that because we cannot. <laughs> but we're all collectively gonna fix our eyes on Jesus. And we're gonna recognize that he's the one who promised this baptism, this pickling with the Spirit. We're gonna recognize that the Spirit his desire is to fall on every single one who is hungry. His desire is for young and old. His desire is for whatever background you're from. His desire is for men and women. His desire is for every single one of us, whatever our ethnicity, because no one group owns him. But he is God of all people.